We are in the number three Song of Solomon sermon today. And uh, I don't know why Joe, they wanted to preach this one, you know. But uh, he left it to me, the one that is like the, like I'm only 14 years in my marriage. And what do I know about marriage? Probably nothing. But, uh, you know, God's Word speaks to all of us. And, and I have learned a lot of things through God's Word. So let's pray and let's uh, get started. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much, God, for today. Thank you for your love and who you are. And uh, Father, I just want to ask you to be with me and with all of us as we uh, listen to this sermon, listen to, listen to your word, God, and that we will learn, that we will go here today knowing a little bit more about our relationship with you and with our spouses. It's in your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. You see, today's sermon is not just about married people, but also I'm going to speak about uh, about. To, to the single people, to, to people that are single. And so, and let me tell you why. You know, I was single till I was 38 years old. You know, I can't believe this, as good looking as I am, that a girl was not excited about me. You know, no, just kidding. But actually, I had few. But no, I'm just, that's another story. But anyway, you know, I was single till I was 38. And, uh, you know, and my friends and family, uh, you know, they always set it, setting me up with uh, uh, blind dates, you know. Uh, or when you go to see uh, your friends and, or you have a friend's reunion and you're still single and everybody's married and everybody has kids. And the question that they always ask is like, when are you what? Getting married. You know, well, I wish I could get married, but I, not, not yet, you know. Uh, so, but it. It became annoying sometimes. It was annoying. People always asking me, when are you getting married? And even my younger brother, you know, he already had a kid and he was into his marriage uh, for five years. And, and he treated me like I, was, I didn't know nothing about life. And so, you know, I hated going to his house and like, when are you getting married? So anyway, but you know what? I'm glad I got married when I did because I learned things before I got married. Some I learned after I got married the hard way. Like one day, uh, I, I think Stacey and I were married for a month. And I walk, uh, first of all, you need to know that I, I like to be neat. I like to put things clean in my house. And, and my shirts are color-coded. And, and, you know, everything was neat and all that. So we got married. We bought a house and all that. I get home and they're like, the house is like exactly the same way I, when I left in the morning. And my, I, hey, honey, how are you? And I let him, and I go, what did you do all day? Not the right question to ask. <laughs> you know, she started getting upset. And what do you think? I'm lazy and all, all that, you know. And, and uh, you know, so, so I call my mom and like, well, what did you say? Well, I just asked her what she did all day. Don't ever ask that question. So like, you know, so I, I learned the hard way, but, uh, you know, but at that moment, I wish I had the wisdom of Solomon to make things better that day, to be, you know, to talk to her uh, in a poetic way or something. And, you know, here in the Song of Solomon, I don't know if Solomon also in chapter 5, I don't know if he had a fight with his bride or that uh, what happened, but sh he started you know, talking very nice and very sweet to his wife through the other side of the door. So he's outside, 
the wife is inside the bedroom. And let's see what it says. It says in chapter 5, 1 to 6, I slept, but my heart was awake. So she kind of was restless right there. Listen, my beloved, it's knocking. So she was in bed and started hearing the, 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 the groom or the husband knocking at the door. She was upset or something and woke her up by the knocking at the door. And he goes, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. You see that? My flawless one. That means that he did something stupid. <laughs> because he said, you know, you're the best. I was a dumb one, you know. And, and then he... And then it's open to me, my sister, my darling. He's, he's begging to come in. And then it says, my, my head is drenched with dew. My hair with the dampness of the night. Man, he had it bad. He's had to sleep outside. You know, lucky for us, we take the couch. But he had to sleep outside. It says, I have taken my, off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Messiah sold them again. You know, he was, he cleaned up. He got ready to go back into his, to his, to his bed. And then it says, verse 4, my beloved, trust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. See, so the, the, the husband is trying to open the door. And she's hearing. And she's getting all nervous. Oh, well, how is that going to go? We're going to get into it again? And then it says, I arose to open my beloved, and my hands drip with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handle of the bolt. So she's trying to open the door, but she kind of want to and don't want to open it. She's like, I don't know. You know, and then it says, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. She waited too long to open the door. You know, so he's like, okay, well, I guess I'm sleeping outside still. So this is, then it says, my heart sank at this departure, uh, his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. You see, it looks like he, they had an argument, right? They were upset, more like she was upset or something. She wanted to open the door, but she was not sure. And so we are so, and here's the thing that I can, I realize that we are so bad on relationships. And we are so bad on, rela on, on resolving conflict. So what is, was true then, it is true now. We're still horrible. And we really stink on relationship and resolving conflict. And you know what? It is that when we are, starting to date, we work so hard in our relationship. We take care of the girl. We pull, open the door to the girl. We pull the chair to the girl. We make her feel good, you know. But then once we're married, it's like, oh, yeah, open your own door. <laughs> See you later, you know, kind of, oh, you're going to cook, you know. So we forget about working on, our, on the most important relationship that we ever going to have. You know, I heard a pastor once say, if you're not working in your marriage, you are working on your divorce. You know, 
we as guys, we need to be romantic. We need to say something beautiful to her. Keep being romantic to your wife. And we can take a cue from Solomon. Listen to what he said before he, they got upset, upset to each other. In chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, it says, How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments are like the fragrance of Lebanon. You know, here's the thing. I don't know how Lebanon smells. But if the smell of perfume is like the aroma and perfume of my wife, man, it's so good. It is really good. You know? I'm not going to read chapter 7 and 8. It gets a little steamy in chapter 7 and 8. So I'm going to recommend you to go and read it on your own. But, you know, Solomon was so crazy about his girl, about his wife. Did you know that marriage is the only relationship that God has blessed? More than any other relationship you might have. There in Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28, you can read the whole thing, but it says, and God blessed them. And God blessed them. And you know what? What this tells me is that we need to be working in our marriage more or harder than we are when we are dating. We need to continue to work all the time. And we stink so bad on relationships. So bad that now colleges are teaching a class on relationships. Dr. Les Perot, author and psychologist and relationship expert and number one writer of New York Times, uh, talks about the secret of healthy relationships. And this is what he said. He said, if you try to establish close relationships with other people before trying to solve some of your own problems, you will use your relationships as a way to meet your own needs. This causes these relationships to suffer and potentially fail. See, we've been reading in the book of Song of Solomon and it talks about this love relationship, about courting relationship, before and after marriage. And if you are married, this is great stuff. And if you are single, Paul gives, Paul gives you a good advice. In 1 Corinthians 7.28 says, if you do marry, in my own words it says, you're good, it's okay. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. So basically, Paul is saying, if you marry, you will have fights, conflicts, ups, and downs. You will face trouble. I think that's why Paul didn't marry. <laughs> He's like, I don't need more problem in my life, you know. I don't know what he was thinking. But now, seriously, today is your lucky day. Because you're going to be, if you are single, you're going to be ahead of the game of, uh, of before you get married or in your relationships. Because we're going to do, we're going to learn God's way. 
And no matter how long you've been married, there's always something you can learn to improve your marriage. Amen? I'm not an expert, but I will try my best. After all, I'm supposed to know something. You know, I'm a pastor, and I'm married, and I study premarital counseling, so I guess I know a little bit about it. You know, so here we go. Someone here is engaged. Anybody's engaged? No? I don't see hands. Anybody has been married for uh, five years? Five years? Over there, five years. Uh, how about 10 years? 10? 20? 30 or more? <laughs> Everybody, right? So there, how many of you are single? Single people? Uh, over there, okay. So you see, this is, uh, is going to be a good lesson for all of us. You know, Stacy and I are going to celebrate 14 years in August. And this does not make us experts. But I have learned so much of my, of my relationship with God through my marriage. And I hope that through the scriptures, we all can be better of, on relationships and on our marriage. You know, there's a tweet that I read two weeks ago, and it said this. When you open your Bible... You're not just reading ink on a page or words on a screen. God himself is speaking to you. He's shaping you. He's forming you. He's making you more like Jesus. Every time we spend time in the word of God, we become more like Jesus. And that's why we are here. We've been in this series, the Song of Solomon, and there are some very interesting verses. Don't you agree? So, anyway, do any of you like to put together Jesus puzzles or puzzles? Anybody? If you like to do that, it is amazing to me to see people who work for days, for weeks, even months, like my sister, you know, putting these puzzles together. I can't imagine the thrill of completing it. How will you feel when you've been working in this puzzle for days or weeks or even months? And then you're missing one piece. The piece is lost. That thrill turns into a frustration. <laughs> because you're missing one piece. And you start looking all over for it. You know, marriage and relationships are the same way. You can have all the pieces. But if you're missing the main piece, it's not going to be complete. Something is always going to be missing and here's the thing God is the main piece in your marriage as we looked over the, through the story of Song of Solomon we see the attraction the romance the love the conflict and remind of that the hard work that we have to put in our marriage we've seen each week that without the single most important piece of the puzzle the marriage, can marriage can't truly be this beautiful song. And this was true for Solomon. His marriage that we get a little glimpse in Song of Solomon was beautiful. And it has been a lot of, and in a lot of ways, it's been a template for, our loves, for a love story for us. Solomon had a God-given wisdom. But what his life teaches us is that even wise people make foolish choices. 
He was the wisest man in the world. And he went down. Solomon's heart was led away from God by all of his other wives. First of all, I don't know who, if I can only handle one, how can he handle 300? You know? His foreign wives who worship other gods led him astray. And without the single most important piece of the puzzle, the hard work of laying strong foundation for marriage couldn't stand up the pressure of life apart from God. And that's the same for us. God has to be the centerpiece of your marriage. But with God as the cornerstone of life and marriage, the puzzle is complete. He's the one who gives the wisdom, the right words for the right time, the motivation to confess and forgive, the example of love and sacrifice. And without that, the marriage will fall and the rest of life will follow. And we see that in the life of Solomon. You know, we tend to leave God out of the puzzle. We tend to let our flesh, our culture, our circumstances, our, our convenience dictates whatever, whether or not God gets to be involved in our marriage. But that's not how God works and how he plays. God is all in when you let him to be all in in your life. See, when God is left out of the puzzle, everything around you crumbles. And so here's why I trust God with my marriage. First of all, God made it. God made marriage. Open your Bibles there in Genesis 2, chapter 2, 19 to 22. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the men's ribs and then closed up the, pe- the, place, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib and he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. See, God made Eve for Adam. And he knew it wasn't good for Adam to be alone for many number of reasons. But God gave Adam the gift of Eve. And that's when marriage began. This whole thing was God's idea. And through the scriptures, we see God continue to teach his people how it should work. And how he should know. And we know that he knows because he created marriage. He started marriage. You see, there's a little more to the story of Adam and Eve. Look at the next couple of verses in two, chapter 2, 23 and 25 in Genesis. It says, the men said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of men. That is why a man leave his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they left no, and they felt no shame. See, 
Adam was excited to see Eve as a gift. He was completely captivated by the gift that God gave him. And he made Eve especially for Adam. The animals in the Garden of Eden each had a mate. But the relationship between Adam and Eve was unique. So God made marriage. Now, the other thing is that God initiates the covenant of marriage. Ed Young, a pastor in, uh, in Texas, in his book, A Marriage Mirror, says this. In the Bible, God is described as the groom who in, initiates the covenant relationship of marriage with his bride. In the Old Testament, God is described as the generous husband who provides his wife with security and adorns her with fragrant oil and beautiful clothes. The Lord is also described as a devoted husband who is jealous for the affection and devotion of his wife. In the book of Hosea, the ultimate groom pledges his eternal faithfulness, love, and compassion to his wife. Then in the New Testament, God reveals his redemptive plan for the world through the person of his son, Jesus. He's called the groom, and the church is now described as what? The bride. And in similar language, Christ commands modern-day husbands to love their wives as the same way as he loves the church and gave himself up for her. Now, let's explore this idea a little bit more. When you put all this together, we see that our God is the ultimate groom who initiates the covenant of marriage protects his wife, provides for her beauty, and sacrifices everything to demonstrate his undenying love and devotion for her. See, it is so sad to see how Hollywood in our culture has diminished marriage. It is sad to see that it is not this amazing thing that God has created for our culture. Many of you have probably sat in weddings and heard the, the words in Genesis 2.24 that reads, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one, what? Flesh. You know, that's a popular passage that you read in weddings. But I'm, I'm going to tell you that it's not the whole story. This verse, does, this verse does show, show us that God instituted marriage when Eve was presented to Adam. It tells us that in marriage, a man and a woman begin a new life together. A life even closer than a relationship between a parent and a child. But this verse doesn't present the whole picture of the purpose of marriage. You know, when Moses wrote this verse... His understanding was very limited. God's saving purpose of, for men were, was still unfolding. Jesus had not yet come to give up his life on the cross for the sins of the world. And the, the church was not established. But it is in the New Testament that God reveals the ultimate purpose for marriage. 
In Ephesians 5, Paul explains that glorious passage from Genesis. Then in Ephesians 5, chapter 35, 5 verse 31 it says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery but i am talking about christ and the church see what the, what does paul mean about profound mystery well the word shows up several times through the scriptures in the new testament letters and not once does it mean something like incomprehensible or, or that you can't understand. Instead, Paul uses it to refer to the truth that God kept hidden, hidden, kept hidden for our time, but now is being revealed. So in Ephesians 5, Paul tells us, tells us that there was a hidden truth in that verse of Genesis. He tells us that the profound truth in marriage is between a man and a woman it is to reflect a relationship between Christ and the church and that relationship between Christ and the church is certainly very profound and amazing Christ came to earth as a man he lived a perfect life he died on the cross for our sins taking the punishment that we deserve and now he's in heaven interceding for us. And one day he will return for his own. In the meantime, the church depends on him, serves him, and seeks, seeks to glorify him. So Ephesians 5, Paul, Paul is saying, in effect, guess what? Your marriage is like that. Let's read what Ephesians 5 says. Ephesians 5, 21 to 29 says, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. What Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives shall submit to their husbands and everything. And some ladies will, will go, Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You know, Submit. That word has been like a cussing word in our culture. It's not good. But you see, the Greek word for submitting does not refer to being under absolute control of another. But in this context, it's to voluntarily placing oneself under the authority of another. And a lot of people, a lot of men, read that, and I have heard some of my friends say, hey, the Bible said that you need to submit. You know? But they forget of what the next verse says. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish. But... Holy and blameless. What does that mean? That me as a husband have more responsibility because I have to be willing to give my life for my wife. I need to be willing to give everything for her. You see, Paul does not emphasize the husband's authority. Instead, he calls on husbands to love sacrificially 
Husbands are to emulate Christ's love. You know what? Many marriages, marriages struggle because they do not see their marriage as profound or mysterious or amazing. They only see themselves as two married people. Some of them, they see themselves as roommates. And it is too common to have marriage center in you or your spouse or your kids or goals or anything else. But God did not intend that. And you know what? God understands marriage. Well, you know how I know that? Because he created it. And marriage is one of the dominant myth, myth, metaphors throughout the scripture for the way that God loves his people. His people are compared to a wife and God is compared to In the book of Hosea, God told his prophet to marry a prostitute because then he'd know what it's like for God to be married to Israel. That's why God compared Israel, Israel's worship of idols with a bride who gets bored and commits adultery. God has seen the worst of it. And as Christians, we have the incredible privilege of knowing the ultimate purpose of marriage. We can see that the purpose of marriage goes beyond personal fulfillment. The biblical purpose of marriage is not man-centered. It is God-centered. Your marriage is meant to point to the truth of the crucified and risen Savior who will return for his bride, the church. So, man, for you, this means that you are called to demonstrate the selfless love, care, and sacrifice that Jesus shows toward the church and how you relate to your wife. And women, it kind of sounds like a wedding right now, right? <laughs> and for you women, this means that you are called to demonstrate the respect, submission, and devotion that the church shows towards Jesus and how you relate to your husband. So that's the purpose of marriage. It represents God and his church. Now, one question that we all have is, how many of you have asked, well, what is love? Any of you have asked that? What does that mean? What is love? You know? So let me try to to help you understand what is love. Let's try with a definition. Love is the willful and joyful sacrifice of ourselves in the service of others so that they might be blessed. You get it? Let me get, read it to you again. Love is the willful and joyful sacrifice of ourselves in the service of others so that they might be blessed. And that represents what Jesus did. Jesus did it willingly, joyfully, an expression of his love. We can read that in Hebrews 12 too. It is also sacrificial. And we can read that in John 3.16. What does that say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For whoever believes in him shall not perish. But what? 
have eternal life. Jesus himself laid down his life for his sheep. And we can read that in John 10, 11 to 15. Furthermore, the work of Christ was service. This loving Savior saved his people by laying down his life in Mark 10, 45. You know, oftentimes many people say, I love you. And they mean something like, I like you, or I want you, or I need you. The trouble with all of this is that all speak of want, what I want. And Christians understand love in a completely different way. Love is a gospel-calibrated love. You see, the world says love for the purpose of self. But the gospel says love at the expense of self. The world says, what can I gain from you? But the gospel says, what can I give to you? The world pursues love for the fulfillment of self. And it is left empty. Christians pursue love at the expense of self and are made full. And I guarantee you that several of us have read 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read it to you. And as I'm reading it to you, you can ask the questions, question about, am I being like this to my wife? Am I being like this to my husband? Am I be, being this kind of love to my relationships? Because it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never, ever fails. Love never fails. And this, my friends, is how God sees marriage and how, we, how he created the relationship of a husband and a wife. And if you don't have God as the centerpiece in your marriage or in your future relationships or in your life, you need to start it today. 